Welcome to Driving the Debate. On this edition, Amazon Zooks and beyond, where the deals lead. Hi, I'm Fred Fishkin. We're glad you're able to join us for the discussion, made possible in part by support from the Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. Find out more at MOTOETF.com. Our Driving the Debate lineup starts with our provocateur, digital age pioneer, author, and consultant, Brad Templeton. Our panel of sharks includes the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser, co-chair of the Automated Vehicles Symposium and recently retired from the Toyota Research Institute, Jane Lappin, and Henry Greenwich, formerly with GM Cruise. Henry is the fellow in residence at the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research at NYU and transportation entrepreneur, founder of Zipcar, Robin Chase. Some of you will be able to join in as well, and we ask that you use the chat section for comments or questions. We'll be monitoring that. Our moderator is Compass Transportation and Technology President and Founder, Dick Mudge. Dick? Yeah, thank you, Fred. Uh, Autonomous vehicles are always exciting. Uh, The last couple of weeks, there's been all sorts of things happening when no no one guessed about. Amazon is now in the autonomous vehicle business. And we're trying to figure out what that means. Uh, and we'll let Brad uh, uh, tell us exactly what it means. Uh, thanks, Dick. Yeah, this, this is a pretty big move. And it's surprising that while we think nothing's going on in the world because everyone is locked down, obviously lots is going around. I wanted to uh, give a brief background on how uh, this came to be. And we'll take a look at uh, what Amazon has done in robotics and transportation. Uh, Most of you will probably know this is now many years ago that Amazon bought Kiva, a robot company, and automated uh, all the logistics inside their warehouses, bringing all of the uh, cabinets with all the parts to the people who pack them into the boxes. Someday they'll find a way for a robot to pack it into your box. Uh, They also bought a little company that uh, made a sidewalk delivery robot, uh, a clone of the uh, Starship robot. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And this is not uh, too far along yet, but people are seeing these run around. Um, They have had for some time, uh, at fairly low key, their Amazon Prime Air project for doing delivery by drone uh, and have big promises about that. Uh, and uh, they also made a big investment in Aurora. I know most of you will know Aurora is, is now that Zooks has been bought, sort of the, the unicorn darling of the self-driving startups, founded by uh, Chris Ermson and Stoney Anderson and, uh, and others who uh, had uh, great pedigree, uh, and they've become sort of the leading software-based startup in self-driving. So Amazon had all those things going, but didn't seem to have any big ambitions in self-driving of their own until this purchase, purchase happened. Now, Zooks is a kind of very interesting company, and I had the privilege of being involved in it when it was just beginning and advising its founder, Tim Kentley Clay, uh, although I decided not to join it, which may have been the right or the wrong decision. And up in the upper left, you see what Tim wanted to do. Tim was a designer. He was... uh, he, he sort of uh, uh, really admired Steve Jobs, who had made design the center of Apple, the most valuable company in the world. And he felt the same thing wanted to happen in mobility. And he had a vision of trying to completely redesign the automobile from scratch uh, without trying to follow the old rules. He wanted to make it symmetrical so it could go forward and backward. And every part was a mirror of every other part. Um, he didn't want to bother having windshields or the things that people were used to. And uh, until he found Jesse Levinson, who was at the Stanford self-driving team, he uh, wasn't able to do that because he didn't have the technology. He just had the design. But he found Jesse, partnered with Jesse, and founded Zook. Steve Jerbitson of Draper Fisher Jerbitson gave them their first money. And over time, they raised almost a billion dollars to pull off that vision. Now, this was a a very hard vision to do because they needed to be, uh, they wanted to be Waymo building, you know, the top and, and, uh, and a really good self-driving software platform and hardware platform. They wanted to be Uber because they wanted to build a complete ride hailing platform. Uh, and they wanted to be Tesla uh, because they wanted to build and reinvent the car. So trying to do all three of those at once was, well, obviously a great challenge. And in fact, much too hard um, when you try and do it in a world which is in decline and where funding is declining. It needed a lot of money to do that. It needs a lot of money to do that. And so they put themselves up for sale earlier this year. Um, They had a bid apparently from Cruise of just over a billion and then a bid of about 1.2 to 1.3 billion from Amazon. 
Now, there are some leaks that have come out that have suggested that part of this deal was acquihire. That means you buy a company in order to get the team more than you get it to get the product or uh, the business. Now, of course, Zooks didn't have a business yet. Um, it just had a product or at least a prototype of a product. So it's not too surprising that people would have talked about that. Um, but tech giants are in the game here, right? And so here we go. I don't know why that's not playing, but uh, okay, well. Tech giants, Apple, for example, has had a project uh, going for some time. They've had its ups and downs. They've had people leave and come and go. Uh, Apple is very secretive about their projects, so we don't know a lot about what goes on. I've learned one secret about the Apple car, by the way. It's, you'll only be able to use it if you get the new iPhone. So, uh, uh, you know, that's... Uh, that's a very important feature of every Apple product, it seems. Um, but of course, we all know about Google's involvement. Now, Waymo, I worked on this team. It's a, it's a very smart and talented team, and they're definitely ahead of everybody else in this game. Um, and other tech giants are in this as well, such as Baidu uh, and other search engine companies like Yandex around the world, all building self-driving cars. And this is a tech giant people don't always talk about, but it is actually put probably the most money into self-driving projects uh, and has big investments in so many of the leading companies, SoftBank, which is, of course, a large Japanese fund. Now, the tech giants are faced off against the auto giants, uh, which include companies like Mercedes, which made this prototype vehicle. Um, this uh, German car company uh, is actually having problems convincing people, trust your life to our software. Why would we ever lie to you? Uh, that's... Uh, you know, actually a, a message which may help them in time because that scandal may help them reinvent their company. Uh, and an, uh, sort of a mixed giant of uh, both the ride and auto world in Uber, which of course has a long story. So uh, what's interesting is how uh, tech giants will face off against auto giants. And of course, um, we saw Cruise, for example, which is a unit of GM and uh, uh, Henry was involved there. Maybe he'll tell us more. Actually, starting to pursue the same vision as Zooks did with a completely redesigned vehicle uh, meant to carry a symmetrical design, just as Zooks has. So they also are trying to play this game, but by being a car company, they're not trying to also be uh, multiple things at once. They are already a car company and they wanted to build a self-driving system and whether they'll build something like Uber is another question. Uh, the automotive tier ones are also a lot of them in this game. Most of them have projects going on and they will sell to the automakers who don't play the game. And then finally, we have a Tesla, which is both a car company and a tech giant now. Now, of course, worth more than almost every car company in the world combined. Uh, an absolutely astonishing valuation the stock market has given. So we've seen this very recent realignment of where things are going. And it's going to be interesting. This, of course, is Maybe good, maybe bad news for the startups. As you know, there are many hundreds and hundreds of startups in this space, and one of them was Zooks, which got purchased. But many of these startups are now seeing problems because funding is no longer as available as it used to be. And the big car companies have slowed their projects, and they're no longer buying products at crazy prices from startups, which help these startups get funding. So I see this as a battle between two cultures. And the car companies, basically, I see as trying to uh, take a car, which they know how to make and they're experts on, and put computers in it to make it drive itself. But the tech companies, I think they look at this more as, let's take computers, which we know, and put wheels on them and see what happens. Well, those are two different approaches to the same problem, but uh, I think the one that the tech companies are doing is more likely to succeed and more likely to work at the speed necessary to win this game. Now, what's interesting about this deal as well is that Amazon has become a huge delivery logistics company. And you've seen these vans around bringing you your prime stuff. Uh, the utility for Amazon to automate the delivery and long haul parts of their logistics has an immense effect on that world. Retailers and delivery companies are already afraid of Amazon getting control and ownership of their space. And uh, this, if they can do it uh, with automation at a much lower price, it's going to be very hard for the other companies to compete in that world. And so that's one of the topics I think we'll get into today. Um, and then the consequence of that is something a little odd for me to talk about because I am also involved, as I mentioned, in Starship, which is a robotic delivery company. But I think that this change in retailing is going to mean a serious reshaping of the way retailing works in our society. Now, the bad news about that is that retailing is kind of what makes our cities vibrant. It's what makes streets like this interesting to be on and walk down, uh, along with restaurants. And restaurants are going to face their own challenge with all this delivery stuff. So what is our city going to look like in the future if you can get everything in 30 minutes that an Amazon warehouse has or that other companies have? And what will that mean for how we live and where we live?
So those are some topics to start us off with provocation. And let's take it over to the sharks and get into this issue of where the world is going to go now that the battle lines have been laid. Yeah, Brad, you opened up about 20 different topics. I think we'll be I here did. for I, I think uh, this will not be an hour-long session today. I just announced we're going to be here for five hours to cover all this stuff. Um, yes. Alan, do you mind if I ask you first uh, to comment on some of the stuff Brad had to say? Um, I, I know you have thought about this stuff for some time. You're but, muted, sir. I thought we were going to have Jane go first. Or, uh, what, Jane, I, Jane, I, Jane, 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 slip me 20 bucks if I could have you go first. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, <clears throat> I look at this, um, I think, in a little bit more um, – more uh, simple way than than Brad does. Um, I think this has everything to do with uh, with the business case of uh, of all the automation and um, and what it is that one's trying to do, as opposed to uh, necessarily where whether it's a tech entity or a car entity or something else uh, that, that's trying to do it. Um, I see this and what what has gotten me sort of uh, very interested in this is the fact that if if I'm sitting there as Amazon, uh, the key thing that moves one of my key businesses, it may not be where I make the most money because I might be just as being a server, but uh, but uh, is free delivery. Uh, free delivery is absolutely key to them. Uh, of course, it's not free, has to be paid for someplace. And so therefore, uh, the cost of doing all that is buried within their balance sheet. And now uh, they can bring in-house potentially uh, the automation that can take uh, what is, uh, what is a, 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 an expense on their balance sheet and drop it to the bottom line. Oh my goodness. I mean, of course they're in this. Of course they want people who, who know what to do. And I think it's to move packages. It's to move them to my house, whether it's in 20 minutes or two hours, or I think the better time to do it is between 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. when it's easy, uh, when there aren't children out there playing on the streets, there aren't um, uh, bicyclists, there aren't pedestrians, and in fact, actually do this and do this at scale, maybe not for every package, but for 50% of the packages. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, the motivation for them is essentially infinite for them to actually go there, get the technology working, which then I hope they'll then bring to the people and the people who need the most mobility, which are the mobility um, uh, disadvantaged, the people that can actually use the mobility to improve the quality of life and wow. evolve into that. So with those kinds of forces. I see Amazon as, you know, this is an absolute no brainer. They, they have, they have the, the resources to actually make this happen in the way that in fact can make be, can happen and, and, and reach the marketplace, not only for moving many of the goods to our homes, but moving many of the people to, from where they are to really where they want to go. So this is a great opportunity. Thank you for jumping in and doing this, Amazon. It sounds like you think it's mainly going to be about packages, Alan. Hey, that's where the money is for them internally. They don't need to ask anybody, and they can do it. I'll I'll add to that dimension that most people thought this would be about logistics and packages, and we're surprised when Amazon, when they announced this deal, said that their goal was to realize the Zook's vision and build a robo-taxi service with a custom vehicle. Now, that could be a lie. That could be a cover yeah. for an aqua hire. That could be a um, a cover for the logistics business. But they've said they want to get into that business. And, and I want to point out that the robo-taxi business is bigger I, than the retail business. It's not like a, a thing to – I didn't yeah, say it was a that. lie, Brad. I didn't say it was a lie. It's an eventuality. It's a, it's a way to the process. It's not where you go to in the beginning because, in fact, oh, my goodness, that is damn hard. Because you've got to deal with the people. Go ahead. Jane, jump in. Or somebody else jump in. I want to ask the question, why did they buy Zooks when they had had made such a big investment in Aurora? What are they getting that's different? Do you have the answer to that? 
I mean, they've obviously, I, I think they've changed their mind in the sense that they did. The, I mean, the investment in Aurora is probably not a bad investment to have made, but they obviously now decide they want to own this technology. You don't spend a billion bucks if you don't want to own this technology, even if all they want is the team from Zooks. Uh, it's obviously because they want to build this. Now, Aurora is actually making a big push into trucking now. Aurora also, you know, this uh, uh, surprised a bunch of people because Aurora had focused on uh, cars, as as had Waymo. But both Waymo and Aurora are both now thinking, you know, trucking's a little easier to do and might bring us money sooner. Uh, so it's not because Aurora's not doing trucking, which is obviously of interest to Amazon. So it's a very good question, Robin. Maybe they're trying to reduce risk, or maybe they know something inside we don't know, or maybe Zooks was at a fire sale price for what it really provides. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just if, totally if intriguing. I, yeah, if I may. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think uh, they got Zooks at a, at a bargain price. If you consider that Cruise was uh, once valued at $19 billion at some point, and you know, Amazon is completing this for $1.2 billion, you know, you're getting this at a bargain price. You're getting all their engineers, all their know-how. They're out there in San Francisco. They're testing in real-world conditions. Um, Amazon would be a fool not to gobble them up. Now, whether their stated purpose of actually realizing Zooks' vision is what they ultimately end up with, that is the key question. As you know, they still have to finalize this deal. There are many engineers that they've got to sign on board to make sure that this goes through. Uh, so if I were them, I wouldn't be out there saying that, you know, their goal is to, to focus purely on package delivery. Um, but on the other hand, you know, Amazon has increased the, the number of packages that they are delivering themselves. There's no question about that. And so there is quite a future in autonomous delivery uh, if they are to focus in that. Um, I think it has huge ramifications for for neighborhoods and communities. Uh, but I, th this is a deal that I think they could not pass up. Cruz obviously made a play here. I think they saw a lot of the value. Uh, and so I think those are some of the reasons. Yeah. Jane, do you feel like jumping in now? Uh, I'm, I'm watching the chat on the right side of my screen with uh, one of the commenters asking us to talk about quality of life improvement for the disadvantaged where AV or delivery products to their home. And so I'm going to take it in that direction by observing that we need, uh, we need to develop a good business model that enables this new automated mobility to be owned and operated for it within the communities that we hope to see served. Um, the current transit deserts, food deserts, low income, low employment, there's, there's, there's a much more important goal in addition to the mobility that future AVs need to be positioned to provide. In, uh, in, in a discussion that was uh, uh, offline earlier this morning, we were talking about neuro and does neuro as a low-cost food delivery service, low-cost delivery service, provide an important bridge between, um, you know, lower-priced grocery stores, lower-priced commodity markets, and inner-city underserved communities. And it may, but it's, it's uh, still relocating that income, relocating the proceeds from that outside of the community. And what one wants to see here is a business model where the proceeds from the business go back into the community that served. Um, can I, I want to add on to what Jane just said, because I'm also looking at this question. The whole issue of what happens to the urban environment when we buy everything online, I think, is a real drama. And so while there might be the delivery, they're not the delivery, then now there's, there won't be delivery jobs. It's all warehouse jobs, which are out in suburbs. We don't have any small business retail, and we wouldn't have any cashiers or people who work in those stores. It's really transforming. So that's from the worker perspective. So I, if I think of, is it better for people in food deserts to get food delivered to them now via Amazon or via delivery, or to create a retail store in their neighborhood. I think the answer should be clear. No, it would be better to have a retail store in their neighborhood, which also provides jobs. So for me, it's a very, I'm, I'm quite frightened about the future of dense urban spaces without, with 
all on-demand delivery. Um, well, well, I guess uh, my, my view of that is that there are really two spaces that are involved here. One is the dense urban land, and that's one, but that's not where people live. Uh, I don't know if you take Wait, the three hundred. Alan, 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 I have to stop you. If you take the three hundred twenty million people in the U.S., where do they live? They don't live in Manhattan. They don't but even I don't, live in but, Brooklyn. Okay. But we need to be talking about the seven billion people on the planet, fifty percent of whom already, right this second, live in dense urban areas, and who people there's actually results where they think it's sixty percent are already in dense urban areas. And and why are they there? I mean, somebody thought that that was going to be a smart city. I'm not sure post COVID that is a smart city. Why? Because you could have a subway stop in the basement and then take your elevator up and down. I don't know who wants to live there. I know I don't. Okay, well, you know, there are 50. I don't know. Where's Jane live? Jane doesn't look like, I don't know. Is there trees there? You're not it's on the 15th leafy. floor. Okay, sorry. I need your help, Henry, or I don't know, or whatever. You know, Alan, I, I, I've I done don't know. So listen, you know, when we're talking about the mobility disadvantage, I want to be clear. I'm here talking about black people. It's part of my work with NYU McSilver. I'm looking at the black experience. I'm looking at the intersection between poverty, transportation, and race. And often, you know, these planning decisions get made, these business decisions get made, and there isn't a lot of engagement with the black community. And I think engagement needs to happen at several different layers. It needs to happen internally. You need to have the people who are in these communities talking about the business, in this case, deliveries. They need to be uh, reflective of that community. Why? Because there's a shared experience, a shared history. But even taking a step back, if we were to move forward, uh, Amazon were to move forward today, rolling out their business, I think they, they would fail. They would fail for one reason. They are not adequately recognizing systematic racism that has impacted a lot of these marginalized people. Uh, and the mobility space and its role uh, plays a, a particular uh, part in all of this. Um, black people have been historically marginalized. They have been kept away. They are not included. And we're talking about their neighborhoods. We're talking about improving mobility for them. you got to engage with them. Uh, that's the first piece. Also, you have to acknowledge the history and you have to understand that when you are engaging, you have to recognize that folks have been made promises and let down continuously in this country. And it goes from both a government perspective uh, to to uh, companies as well. And so I think what Amazon needs to do, they need to recognize what they've just purchased in Zooks. It's a transportation mobility uh, company. As all of you know, transportation could be a great equalizer. Why? Because it provides economic opportunity and access. They need to recognize that there's been racism as a system. It's not just pointed at uh, Amazon. Everybody is guilty of it, right? Everybody has their own biases. They need to start the engagement process over and recognize what they can actually achieve. My last point here is if they're moving forward, planning for the future, they've got to recognize who are their actual customers going to be. You've got millennials, you got uh, the, the Generation Z. Listen, they are quick to sort of uh, cut you loose, cancel you, and they more and more are caring about what types of businesses uh, they are supporting. So folks like Amazon, uh, Zooks, other AV companies as well really have to get on the ball and figure out how to engage with these communities. It starts with acknowledging the past and they actually have to, to start uh, changing the face of who is actually going out and talking in these communities. Isn't there a positive side of this? I mean, I, you know, I, obviously I'm not going to speak for black people, but black folks have told me that one thing they've really liked about what's changed is that they used to have a harder time getting cabs. And with Uber and Lyft, uh, you know, that the Uber comes to you because it doesn't say what skin color you are when you order the vehicle. So isn't that going to, you know, help remove some of this at least? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it starts but by acknowledging the past. So let me tell you, Uber and Lyft was a game changer for me. I was living in Washington, D.C., um, had difficulties getting uh, a cab, uh, had those same difficulties growing up in New York City. Uber and Lyft, the fact that I could order something on an app and it'd be there for me and there was no judgment, uh, it was a game changer for me. Now, I'm a big proponent of this technology, but I think you can't build it on top of the existing ecosystem without making significant changes. If you aren't actively working to dismantle racism, you are actually spreading it. It's like an infection. It's like a virus. We all know how these viruses work. 
right? Um, and actually, the, the virus is a great example of this. You know, Black people with pre-existing conditions. Where, where did they get pre-existing conditions? Because of the zoning, the transportation, and the housing laws that force them into certain neighborhoods that cause the marginalization, which then causes them to suffer from COVID-19, the coronavirus, at a even uh, more uh, rate. Uh, and so my point in saying is we need to take a look at it. We need to recognize that this technology can have huge ramifications on the positive end and work to address it. Yeah, let me ask you a broader question. We were talking about some very important topics here. We started out talking about Amazon. What is the role for a firm like Amazon in solving those problems? Or, do we, or is this a regulatory question that you need to have uh, federal and state governments telling Amazon how to, uh, where and how to operate? You know, if Amazon wanted to lean into the problem, if they shared that commitment, they could certainly develop a business model and franchise local delivery services and allow those franchises to be bought within the communities that the delivery services were going to serve. They could use a grooming bank model to finance people. Um, there's a lot they could do to distribute some of the work that they create with their delivery service and products. But I, I'm not I sure they want correct... to create work. <laughs> no, of course not. But if they did, if they at some point decided that they had, in addition to their profit motive, if they had a social profit that they had to create every year, that would be one way to do it. Yeah, they, they still I need some workers I... in their, in their uh, warehouses and so on, their warehouses. Here... <clears throat> Here, they're located next to the New, Jer New Jersey Turnpike. New Jersey Transit doesn't go there. They need the mobility for their workers to be able to get in and get out of there without... Uh, Robin, you had a point you wanted to get? Yeah, I guess just the, the point is, it looked at it from a larger system. What kind of jobs are we creating and what kind of world do we want to live in? And I, I just want to come back to this idea of where do we think retail stores are an important asset? And I think, and I think that's a discussion for, I'd like to say, for all of society. And I can imagine, so I joke about rats, retail autonomous trips. And I say rats in cities, we don't actually like very much because we'd like to preserve on-street retail. Rats in the countryside, that is something that is, that is of, you know, maybe people who live in the countryside would love to have that. But the question is, what does it do for congestion? What does it do for emissions? What does it do for a larger job market than just delivery jobs? To really think about this as a larger piece. And I had written a note to myself just before we started. With this purchase, I feel like we've already all recognized that Google knows everything we think. And Amazon, going deeper into the passenger transportation, into its selling of consumer goods and knowing all about the consumer freight and delivery now is going to know everything, everything that we do. And so I see, I see Amazon eventually becoming bigger than Google or knowing more intimate things about me than Google. And I guess I just want to come back to Jane's point, which is what is the policy direction we want to go? I would say, do we want to have these monopolies that are running our entire world? And Amazon is now taking an entire other sector it's already dominated on-demand delivery. It's dominating because of that on-demand consumption. It's dominated on-demand delivery. And now it's saying it wants to go into the passenger piece. And it's done Whole Foods. And I feel like I don't need, and it's done Amazon Prime, <laughs> video watching or whatever. I'm interested in having those things split up because I don't really like one company to know all of those things and have all of my data in one thing. So I look at this and I see it's another whole quadrant or not, that's not, you know, piece of my life that Amazon would know very, very fine-tuned details of. Yeah, now antitrust people are not going to get involved in something that doesn't exist yet, like self-driving and robotic delivery. They, you know, they wait until someone dominates an industry before that happens. And that is a reasonable thing to look at. I think that trying to suggest that uh, we will be able to tell them about where they should put jobs or we should make them be deliberately less efficient in order to create more jobs is, is not a path that's likely. In fact, I fear about the warehouses that we're going to see the jobs in the warehouses vanish before too long. It, Amazon has tried to automate every other part of its okay. logistics process that it can. And pick and place robots today cannot uh, match the human beings who are loading those cardboard boxes that are stacking up or filling up my backyard. Um, but uh, they will. 
I think those pick-and-place robots will be able to do that. And so the Kiva robot will bring the package to the pick-and-place robot, which will put it in the box, and then a robot will stick that into another robot, which will deliver it to a fulfillment center, and it'll get on a small robot that comes to your house. And I don't think you'll be able to stop that. Um, now, I don't think it's necessary to stop that either. I think if you have public goals about employment and about satisfaction, you meet them in other ways than telling people use a human when you could have done it with a machine, which never been able to make that work in the past. And it's never actually been a problem. We've always actually ended up having more more employment after machines took jobs than we had before the machines took the jobs. Uh, that's a little bit of a, of a sort of a, a story that people tell that machines are taking our jobs. I, I agree with uh, Robin. I prefer one company not controlling everything. And this is something that from a policy standpoint, we need to really discuss. I think we've seen this before. We've seen this in the railroad industry early on. We saw where Roosevelt had to break up the trusts because too much pol power was consolidated. Um, but back to the question of why Amazon, I actually do think Amazon is in a position to do some real good. They have a $2 billion sustainability initiative. They purchase 100,000 electric vehicles. They can really make a difference. They're well positioned to make a difference. The question is uh, whether they have the will to do so. I mean, we're talking about some, some pretty, pretty heavy topics here. Um, <laughs> and I guess one, one philosophical question uh, and I think you probably can answer, but is the way to solve these problems having large corporations like Amazon and Google uh, control things and manage things, or, or should we have a large government do it? Uh, and I, how about neither? Yeah. <laughs> Great, Jane. That is that's that a, is B, wonderful. A, B, C, or D. None of the above. But but I, you know, okay. Who do, then? I, I, I'm I'm in favor of of, of 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 more economic competition. That implies something smaller. Yes. But I don't see us heading. I, I don't see us heading in a political well, the, sense the, in the, that direction, and I don't see the, the business heading in that direction. There is a challenge, Chairman. If you look at San Francisco, which is the birthplace of the ride-hail companies, Uber and Lyft, and a third one, Sidecar, which was started by a friend of mine, actually did what Uber and Lyft do before Uber and Lyft did it. And Sidecar eventually shut down, and because Uber did a lot of nasty competitive tricks with it. But the sad part of that story was it seemed as though San Francisco wasn't able to support uh, three different ride-hailing companies within the town. And we haven't seen more than two or three players appear in that space in any given town. Now, when it comes to self-driving, there's actually going to be a little more room. Just because building a self-driving fleet and deploying it in a town is so incredibly expensive. I mean, you've got to go to the town, set up everything localized for that town, buy 10,000 vehicles. Even Google and Apple don't have the money to just deploy that around the world at once. So that's going to happen one city at a time, which means it's going to be possible for different players to come in and take strong positions in each city. But I'm still not sure there'll be more than two or three players in a city. They might be 30 players around the world, but there won't be more than two or three players within a city in providing both rides and to some extent delivery. Delivery has a lot of economies of scale, although very personalized delivery doesn't. But group delivery has huge economies of scale, and that's going to be hard to, to force people to have competition. Well, transportation has always has always had has been a utility. There's always been advantage of you know co collapsing it into one. And well, no, Gallen. Most transportation today is done with private cars, and most transportation is very distributed. Well, I, true, Dad, but, I, it, but it's put on the back of the individual. Okay, that's fine. But if you're going to organize it and run it, you're going to the organization and running it has always been uh, a utility. I mean, you know. It, Fundamentally, I don't know why you say that. In the past, it wasn't. It was it was a very distributed, privately owned vehicles and everybody doing their own thing, which creates a lot of problems. It creates traffic congestion. It creates uh, a pollution. But it's definitely how it was. It was not a centralized thing. This is a, this is we're talking about a change. Hey, Brad, wait, it, I wanna, it, it wanna, depends if you're providing the mo never. I won't argue with you. I, I will. I want to I just want to I think that you will agree with me, Brad, that what we've seen the last 20 years and I want to put Zipcar right up there at the front is we we've we talk about platforms and platform economies and i wrote this book called peers inc that is on this topic in particular so we talk about uber and lyft it was both a combination of all the economies of scales you can get from the technology perspective and deep in individual in towns and cities around the world individual individuals with their individual cars so it was this mesh of hyper local hyper customized and all the best you can get out of platforms. What's interesting,
interesting when you go to autonomous vehicles is you take out all humans, all humanity. So there isn't the possibility of having things that are hyper-local and hyper-customized in as much as there are humans involved. I, I, I'm so the thought I autonomous it, vehicles allow you to do more than that. The right. individ, an autonomous vehicle means nothing unless an individual is in it. But as an individual, I can take any type of autonomous vehicle I want anywhere I want. I have many more choices. Well, that's car sharing. Up. I'm saying that's car sharing. Straight up Absolutely. today, I drive myself. But, but I'm talking about the coming back to this monopoly versus having lots of different kinds of businesses involved. Let me just add one more thing into this. Brad started out saying that there's car companies who are going to trying to understand the software and become computer companies. Computer companies are trying to build the car. Like there's this piece. When I look at that ecosystem, I see more things involved there. So yes, there's the software, there's the physical hardware, but the customer service aspect of it is so non-trivial and that's, I feel like that's been the battleground for how do we get, how do we market? How do we get people ha- happy? How do we serve them? And then there's the whole insurance piece and maintenance. So some of those are kind of straightforward maintenance um, and maybe even car manufacturing, particularly when you get down to an electric vehicle, that's kind of straightforward. We know the right, software. Right. That customer service is the key. You can write your algorithms right. to do whatever customer service you want, which not speaking for Henry, Henry is suggesting you better look at the community to see what it is that they need and what they would cherish and what was of value to them. And then write the software to operate at the customer service piece of it to then meet those needs. Now, if Amazon is willing to do that, then I think there's an enormous opportunity for Amazon to both make a profit and deliver value to the community. But they have to go in there in the community and say what's good for it. What is good for, for San Francisco when you have you know somebody else paying for your trip and you can just pass it on and whatever, as opposed to you have to go to a, a $15 an hour job or a $10 an hour job and pay for it is completely different. So I think that what we really have to do with this is, is listen to the community and see what serves the community and shape this thing so that the so that the deliver the delivery of the customer service best serves the communities that you're trying to serve with this the problem, I see it anyway yeah so i think what best serves communities is diversity and competition and what worries me about the example that brad gave where san francisco had three on-demand providers and he doesn't think the city has the, the depth, the wherewithal to support that many. I think this is where the monopoly problem comes, where you've got Amazon with deep pockets, Uber with deep pockets, and any of the startups and competitors, not so much. And so as happened, I believe, in Austin, Texas, Uber shifted its pricing and its reward so that it was able to drive the local competitor pretty much out of business. It could do the same in any city where it wants to own more of the market. Let me argue with myself, by the way, there, because I've, I find this space to be very interesting in the sense that um, Lyft is a third the size or it changes what it is, but it's, it's much smaller than Uber. And yet it manages to compete on an even keel with it when in, a, in an area where you think there would be a huge economy of scale. Now, the reason is it doesn't matter how big your fleet is. It's just as long as your fleet matches the number of customers you have, you can provide them with service that matches what the bigger fleet provides to the large number of customers. So in theory, there isn't an economy of scale. You can be, you could be a limo company in the old days that took people to the airport with just one limo and you were a successful limo company because you took appointments. And yet, even in spite of that surprising rule, we have seen only two to three companies survive in any given region in that business. Because the bigger company puts their finger on the scale, puts their capital behind their pricing and drives the smaller company out of business. Because the big companies are losing tons of money. So venture capitalists have subsidized each and every one of our trips for the last 10 years. And, and, And small entrepreneurs do not have those Reserves. There's a billion, those reserves. And so it is, this is the problem with this monopolistic and all, you know, 
two or three competitors that are being driven by venture capitalists where there's no business model. So if you're a small entrepreneur, you can't go with no business model for any length of time. It takes if you go back in time. One, one uh, there, before Uber and Lyft, it was all run by the, the taxi commission where we had, I think the, the quality of service is better today than it was then. Now you have to figure out how do you get more competition with Uber and Lyft? And maybe it's all the scooters are coming out. Uh, Uber exists. Uber exists because the taxi regulations in San Francisco made taxi service completely useless. Right. It was regulations. The regulations were terrible. And they were so industry. Yeah, but but if if ride sharing is an important component of this with respect to congestion, with respect to energy, with respect to um, those kinds of things, then. Unfortunately, the ride sharing, as you have more 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 service provider, uh, goes out the window. So now, if I ride sharing is not an issue, then you know, then fine. But if you know, otherwise, you can't make it. You got to get an agreement. Um, you know. So this is a whole other piece of work that I've been doing a lot of work on, which is the data piece of this. And you are absolutely right that there's a critical mass for there's a critical mass. Of if you want to do ride sharing, you have to have, make origin destination timing matches, and you have to have a critical mass of riders. And it's incredibly hard. So I feel like the only way to do that is to force some data sharing. That's a huge. That can be a, another whole. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, of aspect. course, uh, I I need to know what my neighbors, where my neighbors are going to go, or somebody. But I'm only reserving inside the Uber app or inside the Lyft app, and they never know right now. Uh, yeah, but. You know, the, the Uber, they were dealing with 1% of the trips. They weren't dealing with the, the whole percentage. They weren't really taking anybody out of cars. They, 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 and they don't have any opportunities to scale because part of what they were doing, they were doing on the back of poor people and not paying them anything. So, you know, and that's not what you want to do. Okay. Now, not on to the, make on it the inexpensive. On the good side of this, I believe that when we do solve the ride-sharing problem, and as Robin points out, there's a lot of work in order to make that happen. Uh, but there's Absolutely. a combination of shared rides in, in vans and you know four to, to 15 passenger vans combined with doing the last kilometer in single-person vehicles actually produces the potential for incredibly cheap transportation, cheaper than the public transportation we have today, uh, partly because there's no driver driving it. So, I mean, I know the jobs people may not like this answer. But my forecast suggests that in time, we'll get the cost of a ride down to in the range of 30 cents a mile less than that when you share and that's cheaper than a bus ticket uh, a subsidized bus ticket it's much cheaper than an unsubsidized bus ticket so it's going to provide a lot more access to getting back to our early topic about income disparity and access to transportation i think it's actually going to do a lot of good things for that and not just in north america but in the whole world uh, although drivers are paid much less in the rest of the world so they're not as big a component of the cost the only problem with that, Brad, is if you don't do ride sharing with that, then the congestion piece goes all to hell. So I want to say I that mean, the problem with that is pricing. We have a terrible job of pricing. We should be pricing CO two emissions. We'd be pricing congestion. We should be pricing square square meter per, per square meter per vehicle. And right now, it's all free, 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 free. Sure. So the you're going to price people. You're going to price people who don't have the money to pay, and you're not going to give the people who really you're trying to provide an op- opportunity for mobility so that they can improve their life. And you're going to charge them. This is what's Fine. happening right now. We've made no, private cars free, and so rich people driving cars and poor people are in buses, and so yeah. it's the exact same thing. So I rarely say this, but Alan is right that almost I love pricing myself, but almost all the pricing plans do effectively mean the roads are for the rich and the yeah. poor. That's going to take something else. Today, today the roads are for the rich. Okay, so price I mean, them and make them even more for the rich. No, I don't think that, I don't think the roads. <laughs> the why rich aren't going to pay money? you. Why the we, very we, poor we cannot afford the roads. But... We do. We do lane reallocation. We offer no more free parking. We b- build fabulous bus and public transit system, and we don't do any of that because we want only people to go only buy cars and they're big. You can't build a fabulous bus system because buses just don't work. They're not going to serve more than four percent of the trips. They're just not. Okay. You don't I, have. You can't pay for the labor we, we, to we, do we're it. We're getting into it. We're getting into our transit debate from two from two sessions ago. Yeah, so maybe know. I actually, by the way, I just want to say we've got a whole raft of questions and great <laughs> other people watching. Yeah, so let's uh, let's also try and bring some of them. But Henry, Henry, let's you you. 
you've been very Henry, you've been very silent. So get in. This is is very important uh, and timely. So I hear what you all are talking about. I hear what the debate is. I understand you're talking about uh, ride share and the fact that it's going to get cheaper and cheaper. There's one thing I haven't heard, and I haven't heard anything talk about where we are now. We are in the middle of a pandemic. We have COVID here where our our ridership has plummeted. Um, Our numbers are going up in this country. Uh, New York is fortunate that, you know, we're pretty stable, but we're one of the few states right now. The sentiment among uh, New Yorkers is that they don't want to be sharing rides right now. Uh, We we don't have a cure. Uh, And I can tell you, speaking about the black experience and in the black community, folks, uh, they've taken away the ride sharing option. You can't uh, do lift line. Uh, There is an Uber pool. Uh, And so what you're talking about is models uh, being based on the fact that we have gotten through this pandemic. And I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that we've gotten there. And so my question to you all is, how do you view what's currently happening? Uh, and do you still stand behind your current positions on what the impact will be to the overall rideshare market? I'll point people to our first episode recording, which is on our website, which was uh, focused a lot on that topic. But the topic hasn't gone away. You're certainly right. Let, let, let me break in. I, I, I would love to personally, I got comments I'd love to say to everybody. Uh, and we'll do that in the third hour. Um, we do want to bring in questions from the audience. Uh, our son Biker had uh, some questions to ask. He was a shark on our first day. Uh, Sven, do you want to raise your questions you have? Sure. Move on Happy to somebody to. else. Absolutely. And great to see everybody again. And also great to see how basically this discussion summarizes a lot of Uh, what we've been discussing over the last four sessions. But I want to get it back to a level. um, Is this moving autonomous vehicles forward and maybe bringing in the missing piece? And my question is now that Amazon obviously brings something in to Zooks. Does that pull them ahead of Waymo? And maybe there are some who uh, have special insights, but is this accelerating the game overall for autonomous vehicles? So if I, I may, think I think Waymo still. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Henry. I was going to say, listen, I think Waymo, Waymo is still far ahead. They've been doing this way longer than anyone else. There are several lessons learned and best practices practices that they have. And they've uh, broadened uh, all of the applications uh, for self-driving cars. Um, but I do think that this um, expedites what you will see in terms of when you will actually have uh, a passenger service. And so this will get you there. I think first you demonstrate proof of concept uh, with uh, autonomous delivery of uh, packages. You, you, you finalize your logistics uh, and then you introduce uh, the, the passenger piece. The passenger piece is much more difficult, as you know, because of the regulations and you're dealing with the lives of people. Um, so I, I think because Amazon is now entered into this lane, they're the biggest uh, provider that is that is delivering their own packages, it will set the path forward uh, mm-hmm. to eventually having passengers in the vehicles. Right. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, uh, Henry's right that Waymo is definitely ahead. And uh, I don't think Waymo's actually even that scared of Cruise, which is another company that people put fairly high on the list, or of Tesla. Uh, Waymo might eventually get scared of Amazon, though, because this is finally somebody with, uh, you know, the same high-tech chops and the, uh, the same level of resources to make this happen. And it's not just the technology. It's all the organization. You do have to build an Uber. You do have to go to every city and deploy large fleets if you want to be in the robotaxi business. And this is now a, a real potential competitor for Waymo in that game. Mm. I wonder, I feel like a huge amount of the advancement in this in AVs has to do with data and, and watching, watching, having lots of trips and looking at every aspect. I think that same thing is true for the passenger version of autonomous vehicles. So Amazon has now got as much data as you could ever want around package delivery and all the nuances around that. And this, the question for me is when I think about Waymo is in, within Google, Waymo crazily and amazingly doesn't have any insight from Waze, which is also owned by Google. And I would say Waze knows more about how individuals travel than anybody in the planet, but Waze, that data never gets to Waymo. And so I wonder within, within Amazon, do they treat data in that same way or will, will the future passenger sharing of, of trips within Amazon get, have advantage, get the advantage of whatever they've learned from the delivery system that's, that's pertinent or I don't know what adjacencies, because for me right now, Waymo is the winner and could be 
far and away the winner if they ever could get access to Waze data. But I well, they do have not just—they have not just Waze data. They have the data from Google location history, which is not just what you drive, which is all that Waze knows, but everywhere you walk and subway and and everything else. And uh, they actually they have a lot of rules. There are a lot of rules inside Google about access to that yeah. data because of the consent decree over privacy questions with that. But it doesn't mean they can't do a lot of analysis on that. Those rules do not prevent them from doing uh, any kind of statistical analysis on that data. Learn from it. And Uber, of course, is another big player in here because not only have they already built the customer experience part of this. After all, RoboTaxi basically looks exactly like Uber, except saying hi to the driver. Um, and they have all that data as well. Right. And I'd say that the first challenge for Waymo isn't figuring out how to provide shared autonomous mobility, but rather how to provide autonomous mobility safely, consistently, reliably, and to convince the public that they can do that. There's that huge hurdle to get over. It's an enormous hurdle, and we are still at zero. We haven't even started. So, yeah, while Waze may have a lot of data, I don't think you, you, you know, you don't need. We haven't even started yet. What have we carried? A number of people driverlessly. I don't know, under a thousand or something like that. I mean, it's, you know, we're talking about something that has to evolve. And I think I'm, I'd like to get back to what Henry's comment was. I think that the key on on Amazon is look, they can. They, they can develop this technology for themselves to just move packages and get it to work and get people used to it. And who knows at what point they they completely leapfrog Waymo, completely leaves yeah. them in the dust. Well, you got all these other I was going to ask you got all these other heavyweight companies out there. Waymo's doing a deal with Volvo now. You've got. Uh, uh, Aurora, you got a, got a, you got a companies that invested yeah, huge amounts of money. We haven't mentioned Neuro either. Yeah, and there's Neuro too. Yeah, Neuro is part of SoftBank's family, of course, and uh, they want to do delivery on the streets. Uh, they've gotten on them also a billion dollar valuation, uh, and uh, it's a very good team. Neuro was founded by two people, uh, two of the best people from Waymo, uh, and uh, and that, as I said, there's a sidewalk. So, you know, Starship. We announced we had done 100,000 real production deliveries to customers. That was a year ago. Uh, we haven't announced the more recent numbers, but I'll tell you that demand has not gone down during the pandemic for home delivery. So there are people out there getting real experience with this. Yeah, we so get King on. I would, if I could add. You yeah, know, we okay. have been talking about Waymo. There are other companies that, you know, you, you guys haven't mentioned Ford. They have a formidable program. Uh, and, of course, without me being biased, Cruise is out there, and they're well-positioned for success. Uh, and so I agree that Amazon is better positioned in terms of package de delivery. Uh, but I think Cruise just announced, uh, I, I don't know what the number is, but they're doing delivery as well, and they're helping out during uh, the, the, the pandemic. All of those learnings uh, they're incorporating and what they do with it, who knows? But um, I, I think it would be foolish to sleep on those companies the same way that a lot of people were sleeping on Nora and, and all of a sudden now they have positioned themselves. Uh, and so it, it's good to keep an eye on all the players. Yeah, it, it is true that it's actually going to be. It's going to be good news for Neuro in a way, because if Amazon gets this level of delivery technology, uh, all of Amazon's competitors will have no choice but to come to Neuro and the other delivery companies who have good technology. Yeah. Let, let, let me, let me uh, bring, bring King G on. King is head of technology at Ashto uh, and, a much, and a bunch of other things. And, uh, you know, the state DOTs have to manage all this stuff. Uh, King, how do you guys feel about having all these uh, automatic delivery trucks running everywhere? All at once. Does that make well, your job easier? It's got to be a while before that happens. But I have a prior question. I, I think when you talk about package delivery, the Amazon, the uh, UPS, and Neural, that's great for packages. But how does that translate to passengers? And earlier, somebody alluded to the fact that without ride sharing, this doesn't happen. And so I think public acceptance is a huge issue. And so I think before we even get to how the state DOTs engage in this space, I think a big part of it is public acceptance. And it's great that all of this technology, all of this capital investment is going into the space. But if nobody's going to use it, what's the point? That's it. Uh, let me say, let me advertise a bit. At AVS 20 on the 30th, our first topic we're going to discuss will be, will be A-taxis. A that is whether they're going to happen or they are not, because that's a key key issue. And uh, 
Uh, Henry already mentioned one of the effects of COVID-19 is maybe nobody wants to share a vehicle anymore. I mean, I would love to see the package point A to point B happen for passengers. But if you don't have ride sharing, you have congestion out there. Kazoo. Um, can I just speak to the transportation, the ride sharing aspect? I think we will see over the next three to six months more noise about the fact that no no transmission has been yet found to be on public transit. So Singapore went in deep. Hong Kong has done deep studies. Austria and another place that I've forgotten right now. But so there's a big body of work how we are not finding a lot of transmission on public transit. And I want to I want to qualify that by it really also depends on the circulation of the air quality. But there was just this nice statistic in an article that Jeanette Sadat Khan wrote a couple about a month ago that was there are 12 and a half million people a day who ride the Hong Kong subway. And the number of cases, the corresponding COVID cases is like one tenth what happens in Kansas. So it is, it is, I, I, I think we will find with more research paying attention that we aren't finding with good circulation, with short trips, with windows open, with mask wearing, that there isn't a lot of transmission. And I think so that I think over time, in the nearest term, we will back off of that. Um, I, I hope that's true, but I, I'm not sure I believe it because well, I will uh, put in research in the I'll put research into the chat box. The problem is a lot of these studies are done by contact tracing, and um, people are not able to, of course, say, oh, yes, I ran into that guy because we stood next to each other on the subway for 10 minutes. So uh, you you don't get that in a contract tracing report. Yeah, we're also seeing a lot of reuse of streets in uh, New York City is a great example for increased bicycle use. And so we may see over time increased shifting to that modality where people, you know, they're out in the air and they're on their own wearing their masks. That would be great. Until, Nove- until November in the northern part of the world. That's true. That's true. Uh, 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 Robin, please uh, distribute that research because it's very, it's very important that that get out. Okay, because in a sense, you know, to me, probably the major challenge for AVs is not the the AI or any of that stuff. It's to be able to get over this hurdle that we're not going to share it. Because if all this technology is just going to be so that I don't have to sit there and have my hands on the steering wheel in my car, I mean, it does no social good whatsoever. Uh, I'll just you know, throw it out there. So unless it's providing mobility for people who really can use it, really improve their quality of life and do it in a way that we can price it so that they can afford it and and improve their quality of life, then, I, you know, I think we should, you know, stop worrying about this and go play golf or something. You know, to get back to King's point, King's, King was skeptical about whether people would share vehicles. And without that, you're not going to see the economic and transportation benefits. We're, we're not going to share vehicles in the near term where there's no good treatment and no vaccine for COVID-19. But one can imagine over the next 18 months that that might shift. And over the next two years, while these automated vehicles are improving their capabilities, over the next two years, we may return to transit and to shared mobility. Um, I don't think that the shared mobility is much of a problem. COVID-19 is much of a problem for automated vehicles. They're not on the road. They're not on the road this year. They're not on the road next year. There's I hope so. <laughs> I, I just want to, I'm, I'm trying to pay attention and also pace things and thing. Blah, blah, car, which does ride sharing as in real ride sharing intercity. Their June um, numbers were higher than their June 2019 numbers. So they had a huge crater. Really? They had a huge crater because everyone was in lockdown. Post-lockdown, people said, should I take a train? Should I take a bus? Should I fly? Or should I ride share? Ride share, you're going to bump into three people, airplanes and trains and all those other things, way more. So I'm just going to say that for, for Blah Blah Car, they had a huge resurgence. And people made the calculus, how many people I'm going to interact with and they chose to do ride sharing rather than go by bus or long distance train or airplane. 
Um, I bet everybody set the no blah blah setting though, uh, which um, is yeah. in that system you can you can say do I want people who are chatty or not chatty, and you can choose that. But here you're going to say since chatty spreads virus, I don't want chatty. Um, yeah. One more piece right. about whether people will adopt it. My life experience with the sharing economy has been people think they won't adopt it, and then the price point works and they do. And so who would ever get into some stranger's car and have them drive them around? I could tell you as a woman and as daughters, you would never, ever, ever have done that. And it happened in seconds because of the price point. So Price and service level and the quality of the service. It it took you from where you are to where you're going. Right. Right. So I think if if you're if you're a woman, if you're a woman, would you get into a a self-driving taxi with no driver and a strange man? No, you know what? I wouldn't do that right now because you men suck. And so we're going to have women-only cars, <laughs> period. All right, okay. Like, like, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love be, it. No. So that's, that's an easy thing to get over. And you also have, you'll be rated and ranked just like everyone else. I rode with that man. He wasn't a jerk. I'll ride with him again. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, there can be a panic button and the damn doors close and, and it goes to the police station. I mean, there, there, are, there are ways around that. Just and cameras. look, and men better start behaving, damn it. Yeah. Seriously. Let me say, okay. uh, we've now reached a full hour. Believe it or not. <laughs> so this is the we've official end. lost our focus. Um, <laughs> we will stay on afterwards. Fred, do you want to give official close and then we'll continue our conversation? Uh, sure, <laughs> This has been Driving the Debate, Amazon Zooks and Beyond, way beyond in this case, Where the Deals Lead. Our series of debates and discussions will continue, and we welcome your thoughts about topics and participants. You can find us at drivingthedebate.com and at smartdrivingcar.com. We'll also be a part of the Automated Vehicle Symposium taking place virtually next week, beginning on Monday. And make sure you tune in for our discussions there. Dick mentioned it already, starting at 105 Eastern on Thursday, the 30th. The info is at automatedvehiclessymposium.org. Thank you for taking part, and we hope you stay healthy and safe.